Hello and welcome to the podcast series on laboratories of differentiated integration in a post-Brexit Europe. This podcast series is brought to you by the Schulmanis Center of Excellence at the University of Agder in Norway. And throughout the series, we'll explore different topics related to an increasingly dynamic European Union and bring in experts to share their insights on the very same union. I'm your host, Johan Andersen, and I would like to welcome our two guests for today's episode. With us today, we have the privilege of having two very special guests joining us. The first guest is Mr. Bernd Hemingway, and he has since the 1st of September 2015 served as the Deputy Director General of the Permanent Secretariat of the Council of the Baltic Sea States, which has its seats located in Stockholm in Sweden. And in 2014 and 15, he was the director of the Department of Migration Management at the International Organization for Migration in Geneva. Before this, he has served as the regional director for the European Economic Area, the EU and NATO at the International Organization for Migration. And uh, prior to joining the IOM, um, Mr. Hemingway has worked for more than three years as a senior expert for the special coordinator of the Stability Pact for Southeastern Europe. Furthermore, he has held various positions at the European Commission, where he has worked with external relations focused on the Western Balkans and EU enlargement. Now I'd like to introduce our second guest in today's episode. Stefan Gensler is a professor of political science and head of the Department of Political Science and Management. Uh, and also a member of the Schulmanis Center of Excellence at the University of Agda in Norway. He was the Schulmanis Chair in European Governance from 2017 to 2020 at the University of Agda, and previous affiliations include the German Development Institute in Bonn, the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, and the University of Vienna in Germany. He currently focuses on EU uh, foreign and security policy in this research, but is also working with European differentiated integration and disintegration. Furthermore, there's a European territorial cooperation and comparative regionalism. His most recent research has been published in the Journal of Common Market Studies, Journal of European Integration, Journal of Modern African Studies, Political Studies Review, Politics and Governance, Public Administration and Regional and Federal Studies. Befine, finally, before giving the floor or the microphone to our guests, it's important to say that all statements are made in a personal capacity and are the viewpoints of our guests and not the organizations. So let me start off by uh, my introductory question. What makes the Baltic Sea region such a compelling case? We'll start with the viewpoint from the EU scholar, our in-house expert, and then we'll go to our practitioner uh, presenting the bureaucratic viewpoint. So we'll start with Professor Gensel. Well, thanks for the kind introduction, Johan. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here today and also to uh, meet again with um, Bernd uh, from uh, the Council of the Baltic Sea State Secretariat. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, well, before we explore um, what the uh, what, what is so special about the, the Baltic Sea region? We perhaps need to reflect a little bit what is the Baltic Sea region in the first place, right? What makes it a region? 
Is it political criteria? Is it about geography? Is it about culture? Perhaps at the end of the day, um, all of these um, elements um, go into a definition of what the Baltic Sea region is at the end of the day. But what I think um, is or strikes me most, if we look at a map of Northeastern Europe and uh, see the Baltic Sea region, what do you think? What, what do you think is so special about it? Well, I think if we all put up this map uh, in front of us, we see um, we see a, a part of, of Europe where there is um, a, a sea, a common sea shared by several countries. And if you, in a way, look at all these countries, then you will see that most of the capitals um, are immediately located uh, close to the shores of this particular sea, right? Um, so uh, think of uh, St. Petersburg, a uh, beautiful uh, city of uh, Russia located uh, close to the Baltic Sea. Think of Tallinn, Riga, so the old Baltic uh, states um, and their capitals are located close to the waters. There are only a few exceptions and uh, they are um, Lithuania, Germany and um, Poland where the, the capitals are are a bit more away from, from, uh, from the sea. But when we go back to Denmark, um, also Oslo to some extent, Norway and um, Finland and Sweden, then the capitals are really part of this um, area that is so much defined by the common sea. So I think this is in a way what, what, what the Baltic Sea uh, region for me uh, is. And, um, and of course, um, um, we now need to think about what is so special about it. And I think here the short answer is that um, for quite some time, um, Baltic Sea Corporation has served as some form of model in terms of working together um, amongst neighbors, governments, peoples at various levels um, of uh, governance. And this is in a way what makes for me the Baltic Sea region special and also in a way a model. But I think we'll get back to that later. <laughs> yes. Yes, Mr. Hemingway. Yeah, but also from my side, thanks a lot for the invitation. It's really nice to, to be here. Um, and have that connection um, with you and also to see Stefan again, um, also from my side. Well, when I think about the, the Baltic Sea, um, you can see it in two ways. Um, on the one hand, it separates countries, and we, uh, especially in recent history, we had that as a, as a dividing factor between um, two um, power systems, the West and the East, and um, the Baltic Sea was uh, one of the, um, the borders um, separating countries on the East and the West side of the, um, of the Baltic Sea. And um, then also it connects um, countries, and that is especially nowadays um, the case. It is a connecting, it has a connecting character. It has a connecting um, character by, by having ferries, by having trade, by supporting trade, by supporting people-to-people -people contacts. I think that is the important part of the, um, of the, um, of the Baltic Sea. And when you see the, the recent history, um, the Baltic Sea also had an important role, and I'm not really going back in history, but really go to the history of after 1990, when you then see the important part of, of the connection that the sea um, played and the role that it had in particular with regards to, to European integration. 
um, of, um, of, of, of Europe, when you see that in, in 1990, there were only two countries that are around the Baltic Sea were member states of the European Union. And um, that uh, were Denmark and Germany. And then quickly all the countries, the one or the other way, integrated um, into Europe. And um, with, uh, the Baltic Sea started the relationship also um, with Russia to, to see, because it was an important part to kind of keep the neighbors, uh, to have a good neighborship in, in the Baltic um, Sea region. So from that point of view, it is, a, it is an exciting um, part of the world because it has a lot in common. And um, it is also exciting because the region is able to, on the one hand, have differences on the global level, but on the regional level to be able to work together and to be good neighbors. Yes. Thank you for, for both of your viewpoints. So let me start off by asking the question, you've both already touched upon the, the geography of the region. Um, so we've had a short historical rundown, we could call it that. You mentioned a few years and the, the general development in the area. Um, so the impact from the system collapse in the USSR uh, and the, the West being presented as an alternative, is that a fair statement in the case of, of the Baltic states or is it really the borderland where both sides are sort of competing for influence? Um, I think my, my question then is the, the homogeny or the, the influence of the West now, is it on an equal scale or is, do you see a tendency of it leaning more towards one side of the other or the other? Um, when, when I can talk, I mean, I work for the Council of the Baltic Sea States, and the and I said already that in, in 1990 there were only two member states to the European Union, and I think the idea of the founding fathers um, Hans Dietrich Genscher and Uffe Ellemann Jensen from from Denmark and Germany um, was to support European integration. And when you look at it nowadays, um, it has um, achieved that um, we have, of those 11 member states of the Council of the Baltic Sea States, eight are members of the European Union. Um, two, Norway and Iceland, are very closely connected to, to the European Union with regards to, to legislation and, and cooperation. And um, we have the relationship between the countries or the European Union and, um, and Russia, for, for which the Baltic Sea region plays uh, an important role. Because at the end of the story, it has proven that in a number of areas, uh, cooperation is possible, um, regardless of, of differences on a, on a, on a global scale. So we are able to work together on um, civil protection issues, on fighting organized crime, on kind of looking how to sustain um, the economies in, in the region and also how to create um, a regional identity for which, um, to which everybody subscribes mm. and um, for which people-to-people -people contacts are extremely important. Mm. Yes, if I may get... Yeah, of course. Back to what Bernd just said, um, I would um, perhaps add that um, if we look at uh, the recent contemporary history of the Baltic Sea, so let us say the 
past uh, 30 or 40 years, I think we can distinguish between at least three major periods, right? We had, um, we had the time before um, the fall of uh, the wall, before the Berlin Wall came down and the dismantlement of the, uh, the Soviet Union and the communist regimes. So that was uh, in 89, 90, 91. Um, then, um, following that period, we had um, maybe a, a time of um, 10, a decade, 15 years or so, where um, suddenly um, opportunities for uh, collaboration opened up um, between what used to be um, different blocks, uh, different economic and political and military blocks between well, the West and the East. And then, and then at some point at the end of the past decade, and of course, um, in, with, um, with maybe the, um, the war um, or the Russian war in Georgia, and then later on the, the Ukraine crisis, um, some of these, um, well, or, or we have yet again a, a new, a third period where, where, there, is, um, where there is a new kind of relationship evolving. Um, some speak of a new uh, Cold War that is in the making uh, and so on and so forth. So this is in a way the, the bigger picture, I think, where we have to fit in uh, the Baltic Sea region. And what is now interesting or what we basically are looking at is uh, to uh, maintain forms of cooperation that somehow escape this, um, these major cleavages. So because they are very functional, they are uh, down to earth, they are basically focused on needs of this particular region. Um, so also if we speak of, of Russia, we, we actually do not mean the entire Russia, but in particular northwestern Russia, also in regional terms, um, that tries to tie itself a bit closer maybe um, in various ways to the region. So and this is in a way what makes uh, the, uh, this particular cooperation so interesting. So although of course we cannot ignore that there is, that there are major challenges in terms of uh, the bigger political picture, uh, regional cooperation somehow tries to preserve areas of cooperation that still are um, that still are accessible and here of course the Council of the Baltic Sea States has a, a, an important role to play. Well, I would just like to add something because I think the, the Stefan made an important point of, of that cooperation and also in in, in, in times where, where disagreement come, comes up on a, on a global level that is not part of the of the, of the Baltic Sea region. And what we see and, and what I find is an important factor in maybe peacekeeping or kind of um, cold war avoidance is a big word, but I think that plays an important role that in the Baltic Sea region, all the countries and all the organizations and all the, the regions, sub-regions and cities are willing to work together because they work together on substance. And the advantage of this is that um, when you know how an administration works, that kind of brings positive reports back up to the hierarchy, um, especially, I would say, in the ministries of foreign affairs, um, where there are reports that working together on forest fighting, forest firefighting on other issues is, is working well and where director generals of civil protection can meet or where kind of um, experts to protect children's rights can meet, where we kind of look together in how we can avoid trafficking in human beings. This is this all the countries have in common or how to kind of see how we um, stop climate change, which contribution the region can take to, to stop climate change. 
So I think that from that perspective, it plays an important role because these people-to-people contact, they kind of come as a, as a bottom-up approach to, to the hierarchy because those reports about the cooperation are all positive because they, they achieve something. They have the technicians in the administration have, have the same aim. Yes. All right, we'll jump to the next segment then. Um, so this segment is more about the Europeanization and uh, also covering regional organizations in the Baltic Sea region. So let me start off by asking Europeanization of transnational space and organizations. You talk about this in your research, Professor Genser. Can you elaborate on the concept of Europeanization in the Baltic Sea region? Yeah, well, um, Europeanization basically means that um, the fact that um, eight out of 11 um, member states or, or, or states of the Baltic Sea um, area um, are now a member of the European Union has uh, has certain effects, right? I think that is in a way what we try to capture by the term of Europeanization. That means that uh, Europe has an impact, right? Because uh, these member states, uh, these these Baltic Sea um, states ha are also members of the EU and as such have obligations vis-a-vis vis-a-vis um, vis um, the European Union, be it in terms of um, in terms of uh, judicial systems, in terms of the apl applicability of um, um, EU laws, uh, be it in terms of policies, uh, in terms of um, regulations, uh, environmental standards, um, um, these uh, countries in a way have to uh, follow uh, the EU. And that basically means that um, uh, EU legislation somehow uh, comes in when also other regional organizations um, discuss uh, similar matters. Uh, there are organizations like um, um, like Helcom that is based on um, um, the uh, so-called Helsinki Convention of um, 1980 that regulates um, environmental protection of the Baltic Sea. And here the question is then, of course, how do the regulations of um, Helcom uh, relate to um, European or EU standards? And in, in the past, uh, we have observed that these um, organizations work uh, hand in hand. Um, um, and uh, that, of course, uh, the, the, the European Union, in a way, provides in many regards a certain um, model. But at the same time, of course, um, uh, given the expertise of these organizations, they also provide uh, their uh, important uh, input and uh, knowledge. So this is, in a way, in very practical terms, uh, what we mean by, by Europeanization. And again, if we go back to these uh, distinctions in terms of time, I think what we have been observing over... Uh, the period immediately following um, the end of the Berlin Wall, so after 1990 and the growth of Baltic Sea Corporation, is that almost all countries have been very open and uh, receptive uh, with regards to the European Union, and that even includes um, Russia. There have been many initiatives um, in higher education, in uh, the en environmental sphere, where Russia has been very much uh, supporting um, um, European um, approaches. And that, of course, has now changed a bit um, in the past, over the past few um, years. So, so um, Europeanization, in a 
way is is always a kind of two-way model it's not just in a way what uh, the how the eu in a way impacts uh, on on a set of countries um, but also in a way how receptive these uh, countries at the end of the day are and this is not um, not just black and white uh, non-eu versus um, eu even inside the european union we have over the past few years observed a growth of reluctance to fully subscribe to eu standards and this also concerns some of the baltic uh, sea countries like for instance of course most prominently uh, poland right which has been a bit more skeptical so you see this is a very dynamic process when it comes to europeanization so mr hemingway uh, when people hear the word europeanization and think of the regime change after the collapse of the berlin wall I think for many people, they associate that with transparency, but also decentralization. Has that really been the development in the Baltic Sea region that you have this demand and the structural adjustments with allowing for more transparency, but also decentralization? Or is it, are they sort of stuck still in the, the old ways of uh, how things were organized before? What do what do we see when we look at the Baltic Sea region today? Yeah, I mean, I would like to kind of start quickly, if you allow me, with the with the last question about Europeanization. Um, I I always think it is quite interesting that um, many people refer to Europe when they talk about the European Union. So something must have gone right with the trial of identity building in in the European Union that kind of people talk about Europe when it is. Um, in the, 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 is there too much influence of the EU? The EU, in, in, in my case, at the Council of the Baltic Sea States, is a member. It's from the very beginning, from 1992, has been a full member of the, um, um, of, of the Council of the Baltic Sea States, which kind of uh, shows that from the very beginning, um, the, the member states already thought that it is important to have the European Union on board because they will play an important role. Now, it is not that the European Union is the overarching influence taker in the Baltic Sea region, but there are others that also have a lot of influence. Stefan referred to Helcom. Um, there are other organizations, there are kind of sub-regional organizations like the Baltic Sea um, sub-regional uh, committee, the, the Union of the Baltic Cities. So there is a lot of influence that also, I would say, lobby the European Union to go in a certain direction. And through organizations like ours, you also have an influence from the Russian side towards the, the, the EU strategy for the Baltic Sea region. And on the other hand, um, the European Union takes a chance, or the member states take a chance to also have an influence on the Russian Northwest strategy, which is um, under, under consideration or uh, restructuring as as we are speaking. So, so that is kind of you know quite a, I think a giving and taking and an influencing from from both sides. However. I have to say that the EU, of course, is a big player um, in the region, and you cannot uh, deny that. Um, with regard to, to decentralization, I think it has taken place quite well. Um, it's also that uh, when you refer to that countries that were part of the Soviet Union in the past and now are part of the European Union, if you refer to that as a centralized um, organization, first of all, 
the um, accession to the European Union did not take place overnight. Um, so there was a long process um, in which I had the pleasure to be involved of um, of achieving the, what is called the acquis communautaire, so the, the kind of legislation that is important to be um, a part on the standards, to be a part of the, of the European Union. And that also um, got hand in hand um, with building up administrations in the, in the different um, nations that, that came out of the, the Soviet Union. So from, from that point of view, the decentralization has taken place. Um, those countries have a voice. They are very um, confident in, in the meetings and also in presenting their um, points of, of view. And I think the systems in place have also contributed um, to a lot of transparency in, in systems and how government decision and how governance is, is working. So I think from that point of view, it has been quite a positive development in the region. Mm -hmm. So you briefly mentioned, uh, both of you both mentioned the uh, HELCOM and then also the union of the Baltic cities. Can you go through quickly for our listeners the, the main actors, so to say, in the region and how they fit into uh, our discussion on differentiated integration in the region? Yeah. Um, I have to start by saying there is a multitude of actors. And if I mention some now, there will be others who will be very mad about me that I kind of haven't mentioned them. Um, but to, to just start um, with the summit, I mean, first of all, we have the four councils of the North, which is the Arctic Council, uh, which is the Barents Euro Arctic Council, the Nordic Council of Ministers, and the Council of the Baltic Sea States. Uh, we all have uh, slightly different membership. Um, we have slightly different geographical coverage, but we are all working in the north. And for that reason, we are working together and try to kind of find synergies between us in how we're working. And then I would say, um, as somebody who believes in democratic um, systems, uh, the, I would mention the second one is the um, Baltic Sea Parliamentary Conference, which is um, slightly older than the Council of the Baltic Sea States and brings together parliamentarians um, from the region. So not only from, from, the, um, from the government, from the parliaments of the, of the countries, but also from, from the regions. Um, for example, the Orland Island um, Parliament is, is represented and um, the Parliament of Hamburg is, is, is presented. Um, I think that is, a, is an important actor. Then uh, we have an organization which um, we briefly call BSSC, which stands for Baltic Sea States Subregional Cooperation. Those are the regions um, for example, in Germany, you have the federal system, so the landers um, of the northern landers bordering the, the Baltic Sea are members of that, or regions of Sweden, of, of Norway, um, of Finland, of, of Russia. We have then the Union of the Baltic Cities, and I think the name is already programmed. Um, it kind of shows you who is um, the member um, of, of, of that organization. 
and the and then we have also the um, the Baltic um, Sea um, Commission, which is um, an organization that is uh, more organized towards um, EU cooperation. Uh, we have HERCOM that deals with the with the environmental um, coverage. We have VASA, which does spatial planning. And I could uh, continue endlessly, kind of showing you who is working on um, fighting organized crime, on fighting trafficking in human beings, um, on um, working together on sustainability, working together on, on climate change. There are some people who kind of think that it's, it's overcrowded, um, the space. Um, I would not agree with that. Um, it is sometimes difficult to get all the information together, but um, that is one of the tasks that we kind of try to achieve. But there are so many different issues, and if you want to create regional identity, then you really have to get a magnitude of people working together. On different on different issues, and in nowadays things are so specialized that you also need specialists kind of working together on them. Otherwise, um, you lose out on them. Have I ever forgotten any of the important? Uh, oh, I'm sure you have forgotten plenty because <laughs> there are even more. But I think uh, you made all the right points, and none of these organizations will be disappointed. So, I think um, I think uh, what what you perfectly showed is that, uh, as you said, there is a plethora. There are so many um, different actors across all levels, so from the top, uh, so-called top level, governmental down to to the um, the local level, right? With the Union of Baltic Cities, um, you have. Uh, uh, sectors that are being um, focused upon, in particular environmental issues, protection or reach uh, or planning um, in, in Vosap, um, so regional planning, um, um, and then of course all of these organizations they they coordinate, they, they speak uh, to each other, um, and, and and very often in a way collaboration is is uh, is about maintaining these processes of um, of communication and exchange that ultimately push push. Uh, progress is it's not so much to to see for who is basically leading um, but in a way to to ensure that all segments of the society are being reached I think one thing one could mention um, is that uh, while well, youth is also playing an increasingly um, a prominent role so also the Council of the Baltic Sea region um, has um, has uh, increasingly started to pay attention to that and to engage with uh, with youth representatives from the region, um, and um, again the Baltic Sea region even I think uh, serves as a model to other regions in Europe like um, the the so-called Danube region, so all the countries that are located along the river Danube. We have seen there exactly processes that were started in the Baltic Sea context, namely to invite um, parliamentarians to also meet up in order to substantiate cooperation, but also to encourage um, youth representatives across the region to uh, engage and speak um, speak uh, with one another. And by the way, this is also an important um, uh, priority for the um, ongoing Norwegian um, presidency of the Council of uh, the Baltic Sea States. So talking um, to to um, youth representatives and making sure that their concerns are being heard um, in these organizations. 
Johan, if you allow me, I, I yes, would please. like to make a kind of go, go one minute back to the um, multitude of actors and, and how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is also a logic in, in kind of this kind of, it's not a hierarchy, it's, a, it's a, to work on, on different levels. Because when you look at, at, at the global challenges that are, that are, that are going on, they have, there are agreements on the level of the United Nations. So you have the Sendai framework on disaster risk reduction. Um, you have the, the Sustainable Development Goals, the 17. You have the right of the child. You have the Palermo Convention for traffic, fighting trafficking in, in, in human beings. Um, so, so there's a magnitude of, of, of commitments on a global level. So now when you have those commitments you also need to implement those commitments and it is very difficult to to implement them on a global level so what we're trying to do or what we're doing in the in the baltic sea region is to break them down to what is it that we on a regional level can implement together by bringing states and actors together uh, or see, uh, together to, to kind of implement those agreed aims of the United Nations. And with that, we kind of evaluate where are the gaps and where is where can we do better and where can we advise our membership to work and cooperate together. With, with that information, we go basically down to the sub-regional level, who kind of have then, again, different um, access to, to, to different means of, of, of implementation, and to, to the local level with the Union of the Baltic um, Cities, who are then have the possibility to implement um, the, the policies on, on a local level, where the implementation really then takes place. And with that, we are also getting reports back on what works and what doesn't work, and the whole chain kind of can, uh, repeats itself the other way around. So, so I think there's a whole system of, of, of cooperation um, which, is, which is very close and um, which uh, makes a lot of sense and which helps each other to be informed, but also to have implementation of those global challenges where they really belong to, namely on the local level. Yeah, so this whole system of organizations, how efficient is it at impacting the EU politics of today? Because uh, you see with some ne- member countries, they have a very strong national focus. And then there's others, like you mentioned, where they look more to the regional uh, focus. What is the situation with the Baltic Sea region? Is there a coherence viewpoint and lobbying that they try to represent from their viewpoint? Or is it still sort of in between that they are looking for their own national interest first, but then tag along for for the common good in the region also when it benefits their agenda? Should I go first, Bernd? I think because this provides me with the opportunity to come a little bit full circle and go back to what um, uh, what I mentioned right at the beginning, and that is, um, well, where are the capitals located? 
in this particular region, right? Well, first of all, I think we, we, we need to re remember that uh, the Baltic Sea region is not a homogeneous region, right? Um, and that is something um, um, Bernd has, has uh, explained um, um, at the beginning as well. So um, uh, divided, but also in a way working together. But also in a way, when it comes to um, the political focus, we have um, countries there who really, who are much more integrated in the Baltic Sea region than others. Take, for instance, uh, Sweden or Finland um, or, um, or the Baltic states. They are really part of this particular region. Uh, the, the Baltic Sea is right, uh, right at their doorsteps, right? So, so they, they are confronted with uh, specific issues of the region much more uh, than, let's say, Germany or Poland, right? Where also the capitals are, are a bit uh, located uh, differently. And, and, and they, they, uh, they have a different kind of perspective, right? So also the Baltic Sea region is, is certainly not a, a major kind of concern in terms of uh, foreign um, German foreign policy. It is, of course, there, but is, is, is certainly not as central as for, for other countries that are, are more um, or closer to the region. So I think this is, uh, in a way, something we need to um, uh, remember when we distinguish uh, in terms of the regional perspective um, of some of these countries. Sweden, Finland, clearly um, very much champions of the region. They also pushed in the EU for various initiatives, uh, focusing in particular on the Baltic Sea region. And then, of course, you have other countries um, that um, are um, less uh, focused on, on the region. That includes most likely also uh, Norway, because it's a bit more um, at the margin and also in a way Poland and, and, um, and uh, Germany. I think that's also, I mean, I agree, Stefan. I, I think that geography plays an important role in, in, in this part and, and in a way also the size of, of the countries because if you have countries that are also like, like for example, Germany, you're, you're part of the Danube Corporation, you're part of the Alp, Alpine Corporation, um, your your geography kind of forces you to kind of spread your priorities around different areas um, of, of of Europe, and therefore the, the Baltic Sea Corporation is is one part of it. Um, the same goes probably for for um, uh, for, for Poland and, and also for Russia in in a way um, that has kind of yeah a huge area. Um, and and um, political areas um, and 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 neighboring countries uh, with whom they have relationships and that they have to cover. So I, I find it um, quite normal, and I, I think those champions are helping us to kind of you know bring those areas together. And then again, the subregions help us to kind of also force the central governments in a way, um, in a kind way, um, to kind of keep the priority on, on the Baltic Sea region. If you if you see the, the, the northern German lenders like Schleswig-Holstein, um, um, or Mecklenburg, Vorpommern, or Hamburg, uh, Brandenburg, they kind of have an impact on, on the central government in, in Berlin. And the same goes for the for for the Gdansk region in in the case of, of of Poland. So that again shows you that how important the whole networking of of actors in in the Baltic Sea region is to make it really an important um, area for for policy making. Yes. 
Well, now you both mentioned Norway a couple of times, so this is the natural step to the next section that we have, which focus on Norway. And I guess the first question uh, I'd like to pose then is revolving around Norwegian domestic politics. So does the Baltic Sea region take up much time in the public and political debates in Norway? It it depends, of course. Um, of course, the Baltic Sea region gets a bit uh, more attention now with uh, the presidency or Norway's presidency of um, the Council of the Baltic Sea States. That's quite natural. Um, I think um, also um, Norway has uh, defined a set of uh, interesting uh, priorities uh, for its presidency in terms of, for instance, uh, supporting uh, the transition towards the green uh, economy, um, but also supporting uh, ongoing um, 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 efforts in, in civil uh, protection as well as other uh, issues, in particular, again, uh, also youth um, collaboration. So I think that that gets a bit of uh, more attention here than But uh, in very structural terms, um, um, we have, of course, to see that um, Norway um, is is not a kind of a central player in Baltic Sea Corporation. It's it's uh, more at the margins. It's somehow uh, bringing together the Baltic Sea and the North uh, Sea region, and as well, of course, uh, the, the the Nordic, um, uh, the, the the Arctic context. Um, so. Um, 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 there have been many, in a way, also um, um, Norwegian politicians um, um, stating that, of course, uh, the, um, the the interest, um, Norwegian interest in the region, is perhaps also not always that high as it could or should be, given given uh, the importance of the region. I think um, again, as as a kind of uh, laboratory for um, future cooperation, um, but also in a way now, as it is. Uh, Again, an increasingly important um, um, line or uh, meeting place uh, with with uh, Russia, and of course, Norway also has uh, is amongst those few um, um, uh, countries that uh, in in, um, in in the north uh, that shares a common border together with uh, Finland um, with uh, Russia, um, and has a lot of um, experience in terms of uh, working with um, Russia. Yes. Mr. Hemingway, do you want? Uh, yes, uh, I mean, first of all, we have the Norwegian presidency, as Stefan pointed out. Um, Norway is a very active partner in in the Council of the Baltic Sea States. When when I'm asked why are countries in the in like like Norway and Iceland, that is a question I very often get. Uh, why are they members of the of the Council of the Baltic Sea States? And I think the important thing is that Nordic cooperation um, is so important um, that they feel that they are gaining by joining an organization where the majority of the membership of the Nordic Council is is a member as well. So, so I think that is, is one important point. The second point is that, of course, um, Much in international relations um, goes about trade. Um, I think for Norway, the uh, member states of the, or the states around the Baltic Sea states are very important trade partners um, for for Norway. So that it makes a lot of sense to kind of have the possibility to to meet on on the level of the ministers of foreign affairs and 
Also, until 2013, we also had heads of states meetings um, um, every second year. So, so that was also a possibility for, I would say, nearly informal exchange um, about top-level politicians in, in terms of, of bringing things forward. It's also that um, not only this, the central government in Norway feels a need, but also the regions feel the need of, of cooperation. When you look at the Baltic Sea State sub-regional um, cooperation, it was created in Stavanger in, in Norway. Um, as, and they have been extremely active in, in this organization to bring regional sub-regional cooperation um, forward. And then maybe last but not least, there are many issues in the, in the um, Baltic Sea that um, are common between the countries that directly border on the Baltic Sea and on the countries that are in the neighborhood. The one is environmental issues um, and climate change issues for sure. Um, but also recently things came up about um, dumped ammunition in the Baltic Sea. And Norway kind of made a point that they're very interesting to see how that is dealt with because at the coast of Norway, there's also a lot of dumped ammunition, um, which after the first and the, the second world war will dump there. And which now starts to kind of um, most likely become an environmental issue. Mm -hmm. And if we find a solution for the Baltic Sea, most likely Norway can uh, kind of, you know, cut and paste that into um, um, a solution also for Norway. So I think Norway has a great interest in this, in this regional cooperation, because just not having a coastline with the Baltic Sea does not mean that regionally you don't want to be also an important player. Mm -hmm. Yes, and following up on that, you could say maybe it's fair to say that it's, it's more of a civil way of engaging in providing stability in the region. Now you see, for example, in, in Tromsø, uh, they are expanding the military presence in the Arctic, a region that's going to be most likely will be uh, of great influence to most of the world in the next coming years with the global warming. But you also see in Sweden with Gotland, Sweden also expanding their military capabilities. Would it be fair then to say that this is Norway's approach of having uh, a stability providing influence in the region also, even though, like you mentioned, they are, they are not central players per se in the Baltic Sea region, even if they have vested interest in the, in the region? Countries um, participating in this regional cooperation have the intention to make this part of a, of a, of a stabilizing of a stabilizing policy. And as we're starting to, to talk about stabilizing policy, and as you mentioned, um, move, military movements um, in Norway or in, or in Sweden. Um, we, as the Council of the Baltic Sea States, we, we don't deal with what you could call or what is generally called hard security, which is um, military security. Um, the reason for that is that we are a consensus-based organization, and that means that we only deal with issues that every, each and every member state agrees to, to work with. Some might find that boring. I think it is 
very, very exciting because this way you can really focus on the things where you have a common denominator without sitting in endless discussions about things that you disagree. Um, and you have also other organizations like, for example, the OSCE in Vienna, where you have a possibility and a forum to, to discuss um, this issue. So I'm a very big fan of, of, this, of this consensus-based organization and of what somebody recently called soft law organizations, because you don't work with, with law or with enforcing things, but you work with, with the voluntariness of the, of the member states to implement what, what is agreed. And with a with a with a pressure to kind of you know as a peer to implement what you jointly um, agreed, and that again then kind of builds that regional part of identity where different um, uh, administrations or different actors in in the in the region can agree and work together on common solutions instead of kind of saying we are so strict that we only want, if we don't discuss everything, we discuss nothing. And that is not necessarily always very helpful. Yeah, I would um, perhaps also emphasize that uh, the strength in a way lies uh, with uh, the focus on very pragmatic cooperation. So you basically don't deal with those parts of um, of cooperation that are um, divisive. And um, as you said, uh, military security is part of it because um, there we also have uh, different alliances um, that come into play, NATO membership um, um, or um, forms of non-alignment like in, in, in uh, Sweden and and, and Finland uh, that are um, important. So I, I, I sense that uh, most of the strength of regional cooperation is in finding or defining a niche uh, and um, yeah, uh, focusing on areas that are non-conflictive in character. There have regularly been some, some in discussions um, over the past decades, how much uh, also organizations like the CBSS should engage uh, into something different. But I think it was very wise by um by the um, politicians to really make clear that uh, the CBSS, or which is one of the prime examples of um, regional cooperation in the Baltic Sea, that it somehow remains out uh, of these kind of questions, that it um, allows for very different partners of the region to engage in um, in areas that are not uh, conflictive, so or not, at least not so much conflictive, like um, protection of the environment, like um, cultural collaboration, like uh, collaboration in, in the field of science, uh, Baltic Science Network, um, um, although, of course, also the European Union is in a way um, 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 playing an important uh, role here. Um, yeah. Yes. Now we'll move to the final segment where we're trying to look at what the future holds for the Baltic Sea region. So let me start off by asking uh, uh, the question of what is the key challenges in the Baltic Sea region? And what does it mean? How does these key challenges impact the, the cohesion of the region in forms of, for example, travel, politically, economically, and so forth? Uh, you want to start, Mr. Hemingway? Oh, you turned your microphone off. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I was waiting for that to happen, you know, because it's, uh, I think, the, the buzzword for 2021, you are muted. <laughs> yeah. Voila. 
Um, to, to answer your question, what are the challenges um, for the future? I think one big challenge that we haven't kind of con figured out yet is, of course, um, the COVID-19 crisis, um, which is terrible for an organization that lives off people-to-people -people contact. We have, of course, mentioned, uh, managed by kind of online meetings to get over the hurdle of not having any contacts. But you realize now how important also the coffee and lunch breaks and informal dinners of um, conferences are, where you kind of create your network and where you're able to um, to, to, to build confidence uh, because somehow it's very difficult over the, over the internet to build confidence. Uh, it's, um, at least maybe that is my generation that has more difficulties in, in that. Um, but the good old-fashioned coffee break is, is an important part. So, so to come back to, to personal meetings, it's also given that people change in 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 their positions it's now coming to to a point where you need to kind of get to know new people and and where you have to kind of build your your relationships i think i come back to something that stefan mentioned earlier namely youth cooperation i think youth cooperation is extremely important and we have now for a couple of years um, gotten the political mandate and guidance from the ministers but also now recently more and more from from the parliamentarians to include young people in the uh, implementation in the decision making in the creation of policies which I think for us has been a challenge um, in a way that there is no coherence in who is a young person because today you're a young person and tomorrow you have done your university degree, you'll get your first job, um, you enter a family life and you no longer feel that um, you're part of, of young people and there is no real handover, no consistency um, in that. Then, of course, we have the big kind of global issues um, that kind of will have an impact. Um, the environment, um, the, the, the cooperation, is, I think there is in, in particular important between Helcom and Vasap um, because um, the spatial planning and um, farming has an impact, a tremendous impact on the situation in the, in, in the Baltic Sea and the quality of the water. Our kind of contribution to reduce climate change, to reduce uh, the increasing temperature, is um, is an is an Im important part. And I could continue. There are enough challenges, and I could only. I mean, I don't want to extend, you know, this this presentation for for too long. But I, we have recently we have decided, or the foreign ministers have decided what we call the Vilnius II Declaration. It's a vision for the year 2030 of the, of the, um, of the Baltic Sea region. And I think it, it lines out quite nicely the challenges that lie ahead of us until 2030. And what I also find very brave and very excellent of that declaration and of the decision of the ministers is that it builds on the declaration, which of course was called Vilnius One, which was the um, the vision for the region until 2020. 
And very often when you look into politics, politics need to find something new, something exciting um, uh, that hasn't been there. And the ministers had the courage to kind of build on and to say, listen, sometimes it's not enough to work on things for five or ten years. And we build on, on what we have done as a vision for 2020 and those things that ha we haven't achieved entirely because they take more time we take on and we build in, in, into the future. And on the basis of that, the, the, um, the, we as a secretariat, we have kind of created an action plan that kind of shows our contribution, how to implement um, this part for which we have a mandate um, for, for, to, to implement this, this vision into, into reality. I totally agree. I could perhaps only add one other major challenge, but that is a challenge uh, uh, which cannot be um, solved directly by the organizations of regional cooperation. And that is, I think we already mentioned it, um, the big elephant in the room, Russia and the, the growth of militarization um, also in this particular part of um, Europe. Um, the Baltic Sea um, region until the 1980s has been one of the most militarized uh, regions of, um, in, in, um, in Europe, although it was always relatively uh, silent, right? Um, um, but now we somehow in a way see uh, processes um, um, that, that are worrisome, um, starting with um, Russian overflights um, and disrespect of um, borders um, in uh, the high north um, and now of course also um, the migrant um, situation at the border between um, first uh, Lithuania and Belarus and now Belarus and uh, Poland is, is of course no good news for the region. But again this is something where, where um, the organizations we have been discussing today have no major say. What they can somehow still contribute is to keep these additional channels open in areas uh, where uh, these uh, countries have agreed to collaborate. Um, so um, here um, I perfectly agree with um, um, Bernd Hemingway um, environmental issues um, is or are a central but then also everything that has to do with fostering people-to-people uh, -people contact, in part particular the younger generation, uh, is, is here a key for the future. Yes. I would also like to add another sector which we don't necessarily deal with, with the, which is the energy sector. Um, you, you have areas in the, I mean, just kind of Nord Stream 2 is an, mm -hmm. is an area which is um, contested, um, uh, about the legality of it and um, the usefulness of it. So there are differences. And that also shows you that, um, because you asked before, is it kind of the EU too strong or is it, are they all talking with one voice? And again, here you see they're certainly not talking um, with one um, voice um, in, in the area of energy security and, and how to deal with um, energy provisions. So, but this is another sector which we're not covering as, a, as an organization. But of course, then you have the possibility when you have the ministers meeting at the informal parts of the meeting that these things can be discussed um, off the record, which I think is sometimes 
very good instead of having you know statements that are prepared and where nobody kind of has the possibility to go left and right, but to have informal um, discussions and conversations as well. And that, I think, is a big advantage of an organization that meets on, on a consensus base, that meets on issues that are agreed. But then when there is dinner or lunch, um, the floor is open and there are no civil servants sitting around. It's the ministers only, and it's a good possibility for cooperation. Yeah, so is there a push for great integration of the organizations such as the one you're uh, working in? in into integrating into what? into influence like now you mentioned that there the, are the cracks appearing like with the the Nord Stream 2 where the countries are sort of playing a bit against each other being played out so this kind of unity that you mentioned earlier that the common voice for the region they had will you see that there is a greater push politically for working together or will it divert back into some cases that's uh, there is uh, less of a demand for this kind of unified voice? No, I think there is a kind of demand. And I, I, I give you the example of the three long-term priorities that we have as the Council of the Baltic Sea States. It is sustainable and prosperous region, the first one, the second one being safe and secure region, and the third one is um, regional identity. Mm. And I just want to focus on this regional identity um, because it's the one that's probably the least defined. On the other hand, it's the one that's also overarching the other two um, priorities, because if you meet to talk about sustainable development, if you talk about um, research cooperation, if, if you talk about um, fighting organized crime, this is regional identity and building it up. If you talk about tourism to make the Baltic Sea region as a region interesting, so I think the, 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 the flavor of, of already some time, but also for the future, is that regional cooperation is extremely important. But like in every good family, um, you have issues where you do not agree. And um, I think to kind of have an organization that gives you the possibility to kind of work together in areas where you agree is fantastic. And then you find other um, organizations where you, or other areas of, of cooperation where you can disagree on things and where you can exchange your, your, your disagreements. But to have it all in one organization where you would say, okay, it needs to all now be kind of dealt within the Council of the Baltic Sea States, that I think would be... Would, would would destroy the, the character and, and the spirit of, of, of regional cooperation because it's a dream that you would agree on each and everything with the diversity of countries that you have around the Baltic um, Sea. Yeah, my short answer on this is um, the diversity of organizations ultimately also mirrors the diversity of uh, the countries and um, um, and uh, the um, yeah uh, the huge number of different um, areas where where you basically can um, engage uh, in in cooperation. So I think. Um, 
institutions in a way anyhow they have a life of their own right um, being a political scientist uh, we of course are very much aware of uh, historical institutionalism and the strength of um, specific institutional paths that have been chosen at some point they they very often are very very um, difficult to to change and um, I think this also applies to these um, organizations and of course there's a reason to it the reason being that um, that um, each of these organizations uh, in a way has has found a specific niche um, where it basically has something to offer uh, to um, regional cooperation yes to round off the the podcast episode today uh, the final question I have will also allow you to sort of conclude on our discussion today but should we see the the Baltic Sea region as a template for future collaboration or is it more should we understand it rather as a compromise to keep both sides at bay this being Russia and the EU and following up on that is there an alternative to this kind of arrangement or collaboration considered the way things are developing right now well, I think there are always alternatives, and one alternative could be just to to um, um, to um, allow for for some sort of breakdown of of cooperation. Um, um, and of course, this would be a kind of scenario that would be not very uh, desirable for for the region. Um, so I think, um, as a matter of fact, the, the, the regional cooperation in the Baltic Sea is already uh, experimenting with various forms, right, of uh, compromises. And that is, in a way, what we have been discussing right now. Although, in a way, um, the political relationship between the European Union um, and uh, Russia um, are not um, the best for the time being, we still have organizations uh, in Europe that um, are in a position to... Um, engage both sides in a very meaningful way and this is happening so i think this is uh, this is already quite um, a good um, way um, ahead without downplaying the challenges um, that exist right um, in terms of of the military issues that we have uh, been discussing but um, as long as um, there is not enough uh, political will in a way to um, um, uh, in really solve these uh, questions uh, in a good way but this involves in a way then again other organizations um, um, we we won't see any kind of um, progress and then your second question with regards to whether the Baltic Sea um, has become a model or is a model, I would say yes, uh, it is. Um, there are various other forms of um, regional cooperation in uh, the European Union. Um, um, we mentioned um, Alpine um, collaboration, uh, collaboration along the River Danube um, and elsewhere. And what we have seen over the past few years is that many of these cooperative uh, formats, although of course they have also their own history, their own experience, uh, their own uh, institutions, they very often in a way have looked at the Baltic example in terms of fostering very comprehensive, large-scale regional cooperation involving many people, um, many different political actors uh, serving one particular or several uh, clearly defined um, um, objectives um, um, in, in their um, uh, cooperation. So primarily um, in terms of environmental protection, but also, of course, um, economic development. So yes, the Baltic Sea clearly is or has become a model um, for cooperation, regional cooperation in Europe. Well, I, um, I, I 
start by continuing on the model for, for regional cooperation. And um, I have to agree with Stefan that, you know, we're very often seen, we are kind of also consulted by, by different other organizations in terms of um, what we do, how we do things. I also think what many regions find interesting is this um, consensus-based cooperation, this soft law um, um, cooperation. And one example that for me was was striking for that it is something good that we're doing is that on the invitation of um, Finland and Sweden, I was invited to talk to representatives of the Red Sea, the, the countries surrounding the Red Sea, because they would love to see how we are working together in the Baltic Sea. And how is it possible that even though there are differences between the countries and, um, as Stefan said, between the EU countries and, and Russia in particular, um, how is it possible that on a regional level you still have areas where you're able um, to work together? And um, when I presented it, uh, they invited me again and again to kind of explain more and more because they find it a very, very good model that you're able to, to talk about things where you agree. So it can't be the worst system of all of it. Um, if others um, copying it and if others think that it's at least worth it to listen to how it works. Are there too many compromises in the in the region and um, in in this way? I don't know if it's too many, but there are compromises, and compromises is a way of, of policy making. Uh, I think in any human relation, any human relation is full of compromises, and you have to find good compromises. There are the kind of philosophers who say um, a good compromises when everybody is unhappy. Um, but I would kind of say it's the other way around. Um, the, you know, a good compromise is where everybody still has um, enough um, self-respect and can see enough of their own policy that is part of, of, um, of, the, of the compromise. So there can't be too much because that is the way kind of cooperation works. And is there an alternative? Um, there are always alternatives. Um, I don't know if they're always better. I would say they're not necessary. Um, but what is important for, for, the, for the Baltic Sea region is that they're able to react to, to further developments, that they review the institutional organizational setting um, from time to time to see that um, if things are still useful and, and meaningful in the way um, they do it, and that they have to maintain the possibility, the flexibility to react to political developments um, globally and, and in the region. And if you can keep that momentum, and if you don't become, you, you said I'm, um, you refer to me as, as a bureaucrat, if you, it becomes too bureaucratic, um, I, th I think I don't see myself as a bureaucrat, um, but I would need a definition for that first. But if you, um, if, if you become too bureaucratic and if it becomes too set in stone and too kind of um, just no left and right of, of the path, then I think you know, the, the, there are, then they, I would kind of think about alternatives. But as long as we keep the flexibility and are able to kind of catch in um, um, developments that are there, which you can see, because we started from European integration, 
we started as a as a as a as a model for political dialogue between countries then we added the operational part to the organization where we said when we take political decisions we also have to be able to implement it so now we're starting to implement um, political decisions ourselves and with and with partners and now kind of with a with a vision of the organization till 2030 i think we're well placed to kind of have something that we can review every five years and that we kind of remain lively towards um towards um, developments and if we are able to do that i think then we don't have to look for for an alternative which in most cases might not be as good as what we have all right, then I'd like to conclude today's episode. First of all, I'd like to say thank you to both of our experts. Thank you for sharing your insight in today's episode. And I'd also like to thank you for listening in on this podcast episode. I hope that this has been an informative experience. This podcast series has been realized with support and funding from the University of Agda and the European Erasmus Plus program. Thank you.